Well, good morning, everyone. I, hey, this is good. I guess the ministry fair, we have some energy out there. That's good. That's good. You must have all stopped by the student ministries booth and got an otter pop, I think, before the service. So that's, that's great. Great to be with you this morning. So uh, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's uh, my pleasure and privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, and uh, thank you to our worship team for leading us today and getting us going. It was even uh, a little short notice, just with uh, Matt, just so you know, our young adults pastor and often drumming, had uh, emergency appendicitis surgery this week, and, and um, so he and his wife are, are at home uh, today. He's, he's fine, he's back, and um, I don't know why he wasn't here helping set up this morning, but <laughs> I'll talk to him about that later. But, <laughs> but uh, so thank you guys for leading us today, I really appreciate it. Well, this time of year, uh, we talked, Dale mentioned last week, he said it's kind of a beginning of a new year, and in, in many ways it is. In fact, today, is, tonight, it uh, begins a new Jewish new year on their calendar, but uh, for many of you today also, and I can tell by looking around, begins a new year of the NFL season. So, um, and, and if you're wondering where the people are in this front row, it's because NFL started today, so uh, it's fantasy leagues are up and going, and, um, but I was never a football player, but I loved to play football, watch all the sports. But, you know, I, I mentioned before, my sport was baseball. I love baseball. And for me growing up, uh, a lot of my days were kind of centered around that. I, played, I was one of those kids who played baseball every day, throwing the ball against the wall, hitting the ball to my, you know, hitting ball by myself and, and things like that. But one of the things that I loved about baseball was the, the identity of our team. And, and because there's this term in, in baseball, for those who just really love the game and who love, one of my favorite things to do was to make diving plays in the field, to dive, grab the ball, throw somebody out, to be dirty. You know, I was the kid who's always came home from a game completely dirty, um, sliding, stealing bases, just everything. I loved it. And the term that often we use for that is called a dirt bag. Someone who just loves the game, is having fun out there. And so one of the the identities that we tried to create is some dirt, uh, Long Beach uh, State people over here. Okay, yeah, Cal State, Long Beach, whatever. Yeah, yeah, so the dirt bags. But uh, that definitely is um, a, a term of endearment, of endearment when you love baseball. And so the teams I played on, we often had that identity. Uh, and, and it was always a group of people who we just loved the game and, and loved to play, loved to play hard, loved to get dirty. And, and even part of what comes with that identity was this idea that we are together in on this. And so you create your own little kind of team dynamics that go on. You've got each other's back. And all the little things that happen with baseball. Well, I remember in, I was 12 years old, I had just moved to St. Louis, Missouri, which is a great baseball town, and I was playing in the league there, and I got on this team, and the team, I, I still remember that team with fondness. We had a, a, a great time together, but it was one of those teams where we really embodied that dirtbag mentality, that just loving the game, loving to get dirty, loving to play, and, and definitely doing it together, getting each other's back. And we were... Uh, Part of this team, and, and the team name, we were the Bandits, of all things. Uh, and, and so we even said, like, we're going to take band we're going to be the Bandits. We're going to be the ones that no one else wants to play. We're just going to be that team that does the little things to get under their skin, and, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're 12 years old. I mean, we're playing a game. 
There's one thing about our team identity, though, that stood a little in contrast to us, and, and it was our manager. He was a great guy. He loved baseball. He knew baseball well. But we were kind of the dirtbags, and, well, we called him um, Mr. Rogers. He... <laughs> He was one of those that would always, we would be screwing around and playing and having fun. And he'd be like, boys, now boys, come on, that's not the way we do things. And, and we're like, we're 12, of course it is. But so we always kind of had some dissonance between our manager and us. In fact, we were the bandits and, and he, he made a team logo. I kind of still feel a little bad. But so he, the, he designed our team design and it came on our jackets and it was a baseball um, and with eyes and stuff, but he was a bandit, so he had a bandana on him. It came down, I was like, okay, no big deal, except for the way he drew it, it was a bandana, made it look like an ice cream cone. So, so we, so, you know, we were the dirtbags, so we were like, oh, cool, we're the ice cream cones now. And, and of course, like, no, boys, no, that's not what I meant. And, but we were the dirtbags, we didn't care. Like, sure, we'll be ice cream cones. But it was just the way we were as a team. Now, there was one day, one game, when our identity came to the surface. And in this game, I still remember it well. I mean, 12 years old wasn't that long ago. And so <clears throat> I was um, playing at shortstop, and there was a play at second base. And he w- went by, made the play. The guy was sliding into second. And when he slid in, I landed and, s- and landed on his hand, uh, the guy from the other team. And it was our rival team, the team that we had always been going back and forth, fighting for first place. And we kind of had some internal, personal rival- rivalries against them. But I landed on his hand. And, and, um, and, you know, he was injured, so his manager came out to check him out to see if he'd be okay, and he was okay. But, but when he came out to check him out, my second baseman said something. I, to this day, don't know what he said, but whatever he said, the other manager from the other team didn't think it was probably the right thing to say at that moment. I think it had something to do with you squashed him like a bug. It was something along those lines. But this other manager got in the face of our second baseman and started yelling at him and saying, like, how dare you do, and just going off and off. Now, we were dirtbags. We were teammates. We had an identity. If you get in the face of my second baseman, what am I going to do? I'm not, I'm not endorsing this, by the way, but <laughs> as a shortstop, I thought, this is my team. So I had some things to say to the other manager. I don't remember exactly what they were. I'm sure they were respectful. Um, <laughs> But whatever it was that I said, he decided the next course of action was to yell at me. So I don't know. Maybe he misheard me. But so, <laughs> so he looked at me and he says this. I still remember it very well. He says, I can't wait till you get up to bat. I'm going to have number 51 throw the ball at your head. I know. <laughs> You're on my side, right? <laughs> but I heard that. And remember, we were dirtbags. It was our mentality. Some would be scared at that. I was like, bring it on, I can't wait. Bring it on, that'll be great. Go ahead and do it and see what happens. And then I probably said some other things because I don't think he liked the rest of it, but it had something to do with, old man, go sit down, let us play. But um, again, I don't coach this way. I don't tell my kids to act like this. But it was this, this moment and, and the inning ended. We went into the dugout and our whole team, we were getting ready to bat. I was coming up in the lineup and I looked at the team like, hey, they're going to throw the ball at me. And we were ready. We were so excited because there's some unwritten rules in baseball if they did that. If you're not into baseball, um, I'm not going to explain the unwritten rules, but those of you who are into baseball, you know, there's this certain protocol that you've you got to do something if you throw the ball at your head. Um, 
Those of you who don't know baseball have no idea what I'm talking about. Just smile and nod, please. So we were excited. It was going to be a fight. We were excited for that. But we wanted that. We were dirtbags. And, and my managers, uh, Mr. Rogers, sat us down and said, boys, now I know they said some things that aren't nice, but we aren't, we're bigger than that. And we all kind of looked at each other like, no, we're not. We're 12. We cannot wait. And we were ready for this moment. He goes, we are not, no one is going to do anything. If you do anything, you're going to be out of the rest of the game. And we're just kind of like, oh, is this worth it? Probably. <laughs> and one of our, to show the, the contrast, one of our assistant coaches, who happens to be very closely related to me, looked at me at the time and just said, if he hits you in the head, you know what to do. I was like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so we were getting ready for my at-bat. Now, I wish I could say that it has a really exciting ending. You guys are ready to hear, well, what happened? I got up to bat. He didn't throw the ball at my head. I was really mad about it. I was so ready, <laughs> so ready. But I did actually hit a triple down the line. And, and, but don't worry, the next time I played that team, that same pitcher struck me out and we lost the game when, with runners on base. So, you know, win some, you lose some. But the point isn't what happened with that fight. Here's the point. Our team had this identity. Our team knew who we were. We had each other's back. We all were there. We were ready for that moment. And even though normally you want the manager's voice to influence the team, but the thing that happened about this team was even all the outside voices telling us who we needed to be wasn't going to change. It wasn't going to change our identity. The circumstances weren't going to change our identity. We knew who we were. We were a bunch of 12-year-olds who loved the game and who got along together. This morning, we, if you've noticed, it's a little different out in the plaza. This morning as a church, we're focusing on all the things that we want to be about as a church, of, of who we are, the things that we do to, to uh, help advance the mission that we, the way we believe God has called us to. But it all begins with our identity. First with our identity of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, but also then, collectively, when we all gather together and call this local community of people Seacoast Church, what is the identity that shapes us? What is the identity that we, we will take forward and that will not be changed based on outside circumstances or voices speaking into us? So just like a team of 12-year-olds who are dirtbags, we want to know what is the identity as a church. So this morning, that's what we're going to be talk about, talking about. Starting with our individual identity and then corporately, what is God calling us to be as a community? So join me as we pray and get started with this morning. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your love, for your grace. We thank you for the way you shape us and are shaping us individually and collectively. We thank you for how good you are. And I pray right now, Lord, that... Um, that you would speak to me as I speak, that this would be about you and your name being lifted up. And God, we ask that you would be very present in our lives in this moment and in this space. And I pray that you help us to put out all the distractions from a week of busyness and ups and downs and everything. And let this time be about you and your call for our lives. So we thank you now and give you this. In your name, amen. Well, as we begin talking about our identity and where we are going as a church, I wanted to start and remind you of a, a saying that we've adopt, adopted of why we want to exist. And it's just simply this. Seacoast exists to make disciples who demonstrate the transforming love of Jesus. In other words, 
we as a church want to be about the business of helping people move from a life that's far from Christ to, to discovering life in Christ and then growing in that life so that one day we can, or every day, we more and more represent the life of Christ. That's what it means, discipleship, is moving from far from Christ to knowing Him and then becoming more and more like Him. Disciples really means a student of. So we want to be students of Jesus and we want to become more and more like Him. So Seacoast exists to help all of us on that process of becoming more like Jesus. Now there's a next step to that though. We want to be disciples who demonstrate the transforming love of Jesus everywhere we go. So we don't want to simply be disciples who know more about Jesus and who in our individual private lives when we go home somehow are Christ-like, but we want to be disciples so that we can put the life of Jesus on display as we go throughout our days. That's why we exist. That's why we want to talk about becoming more like Jesus so that the world can see who Jesus is. So as we begin, I want to start with a little bit of putting some definition to that individual identity of what that means to represent that love of Jesus individually, what it looks like in our lives. Now we talk about individual identity quite often here, so if you journey with us weekly, you've heard this before or a lot of this. So we're going to go through this pretty quickly, but I invite you to open the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because it's a great place to begin to talk about what does it look like to be a disciple. What does it look like if we say, this is who we are, we are disciples, but what does that look like? And I want to begin with this saying, it's, we want to be disciples who represent the family of God. Now let me show you what that means. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, pick up in verse 16. It says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We now know him uh, we know him no longer in that way, because if anyone is in, in Christ, there is, there is there a new creation. Everything old is passed away, and everything has become new. So it starts off when we talk about what does it look like to be a disciple who represents God, or who's on the journey of becoming more like Christ, we need to know that everything that was old is now new in Christ. Your old life doesn't put definition to who you are now. That isn't what defines you or shapes you as you go forward. It's part of your journey, but now that's over. We have new life in Christ. That cannot be erased. As he goes on here, it says this, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So the next part of this identity that he's talking about, he says that God has reconciled us to him through Jesus, meaning to, to reconcile something is really to take something that is not in order or two things that don't go together and to make them so that they're able to go together. So the picture in scripture is that humankind is the way we live our lives, we're, we're not able to live in conjunction or in harmony with a holy God. It just can't happen. But through Jesus Christ, to be reconciled means that Jesus makes our lives so that we can be in harmony with God. It's about the work that Jesus has done in our lives. And then furthermore, so our identity is now, because of Jesus, we can be in harmony with God. But then he says, now you've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, the job, the task 
of helping the watching world understand that they too can be in harmony with God. So that's part of what it means for identity as an individual follower. Let's continue on. Verse 20 says this, So we are ambassadors for Christ. So Paul's clarifying a little. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. Now that word ambassador in in the ancient Greek is really the same for us today. It means someone who is a representative of something. So Paul really gets down and says, as a follower of Jesus, your old life is old and it's done with. You now have new life in Christ. God has made you in harmony with him and you now are a a representative of God to the watching world. That's your identity. That's who you are. I don't know if any of you who uh, have, our parents or your parents may have said this before, but ever have that conversation that says something like, when you behave that way in public, you're not just doing that to your reputation, but that is the reputation of the whole family. Anyone ever hear that or say that? You're not out there just representing you, but you represent our family. I remember growing up, both of my parents grew up as um, farmers in northern Minnesota, dairy farmers. And so my dad, to escape the farm life, uh, joined the army and was a Green Beret. So I grew up kind of in that mentality. So if you have parents who that's their life, there's one saying that I heard often growing up. And that saying I heard was, you'll live. (laughs) I heard that probably more than anything else my entire life is, you'll live. And it didn't matter what the circumstance was. You'll be fine. You'll live. I remember at third grade, I was um, whittling a stick and learning how to whittle with a knife. And, you know, the best way to learn something is the hard way, right? And so, yes, I stuck the knife right into my hand and and pulled it out as a third grader. And at the time, I thought they were muscles, but I realized I learned there's no muscles in your hand. They're actually tendons I was looking at. So I could look all the way in and see those. Now, my dad, being a Green Beret... (laughs) you know, had training of army doctors apparently, and he just grabbed my hand and said, here you go, put it under the faucet, rinsed it off, and I'm like, dad, I can see inside my hand. And he looked at me and says, you'll live. (laughs) Put a band-aid over that thing and said, you'll be fine. Guess what? I lived. I was fine. But so one of the identities of my family growing up was, hey, you're tough. Just toughen up. Go through it. You'll be fine. Don't complain. And that shaped, really, who, who I am and my brother. Definitely like, yeah, life's not always easy. Just deal with it. You'll live. One of the things with our kids today, I, I brought that into our family. And I always say, we're not quitters. We don't give up. We're tough. Come on. And so I find that I don't want people to look at my family and think, oh, they're a bunch of wimps. I'm like, no, that's not who we are. You represent me when you're out there. And that's the same picture in Scripture as his followers, as his children. As followers of Jesus Christ, we represent the family of God. So when people look at you and they look at me, they're saying, that's what God's family looks like. We're ambassadors. So when we begin with that identity and understanding that we are disciples who represent the family of God, that should shape everything. Now, it doesn't mean we're all the same. We all have different things in our lives that that make us who we are. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, there's, Paul is writing again. 
He's writing a letter to the church in a place called Philippi. And he's talking about all of his life and, and kind of the accomplishments in his own life and the things that he has done. He says, you know, I have reason to, to have great confidence because I'm a Roman citizen. I, I was born uh, in, into a, a prestigious Jewish family. I was a Pharisee. In other words, I understood the laws of God very well. I, I, I was zealous for my faith. I'm very, uh, I was very strict to the law. I have all these things going for me. So that was part of his identity. But look what he says when he compares that to knowing Christ. He says, whatever things in my life were a gain to me, those things I now count as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for in whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all rubbish so that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, Paul is speaking and he says, I have a reason to have to believe that my identity was really strong. I had all these things going for me, but the important thing, and that shaped who I am, but all of those things now compared to knowing Jesus are rubbish. There's a very strong Greek word. <laughs> to say my identity in Christ trumps all of those things, yet all those things are part of me. So as a follower of Jesus, we represent the family of God, but we are not all the same. But the one thing that binds us together is the life in Christ. I think of it this way. Your circumstances shape your life. When I say that, I mean this. Think of your family, your education, your income, your job, where you live, where you were born, things that have happened. Those are circumstances that shape your life. They make you part of who you are. But your life in Christ now gives purpose to those circumstances. Let me say that again. Your circumstances shape your life, but your life in Christ gives purpose in those circumstances. Your identity, the main part of your identity that matters is the purpose that comes through knowing Jesus. Some of you in here are successful business owners. You live in nice houses. You have an ocean view. Those things are great. Some of you in here are starving artists. (laughs) You don't have an ocean view. You're struggling through life. But that's who you are. That's your circumstance. And we're not telling people we need to all have the same thing. No, those are your circumstances. Now let your life in Christ shape or give you purpose to your life in the house on the hill or your life as a starving artist, your life as a struggling single parent, your life as a college student, your life as a high school student. Your life in Christ provides purpose to those things. So the real part of our identity that matters is knowing Christ and making him known the way we live, representing the family of God. So that's the individual part of who we are. Now I want to spend more time on this other part because we talk a lot about individual life. But now I want to say, how does all of this affect us as a church? How does it translate to the ministry fair that's happening outside today, to all the things that Seacoast is doing to help us grow in our faith? What is our identity collectively as a church? And I want to ask you to to invite you to turn somewhere in the Bible that we don't go to very often. It's a book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14. 
And so we start off and said, and said, we're talking about who we are today. And we said, we are disciples who represent the family of God. And the second part of this is who we are. We are a church who puts God on display for His glory, for His name. That's who we want to be. So let's look at this. So we're going to look in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is uh, words that were uh, spoken by Jesus to, to a writer named John to be communicated to a church called the Church of Laodicea which was a town in the um, ancient Greco-Roman world. It says this, To the angel in the church of Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of all creation of God says this. In other words, Jesus says this to you, the people from this town. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot, sorry. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now we're going to stop right there. I read those verses to you and you might be saying, Okay, Ryan, not sure I see how that applies to us moving forward as a church. When we understand what Jesus was saying and the context in which he's saying this to the church of Laodicea, it'll start to make sense for us today. We have to understand the culture, the history, and what's happening with this particular town, this particular church. See, the church of Laodicea is uh, still, it's in modern-day western Turkey, uh, it's now an archaeological ruin. It's a great place to go and explore. It's uh, one of my favorite cities I've ever been able to walk around and check out. My wife and I had the privilege of going there a few years ago and, and exploring there when she puts up with my nerdiness as I'm looking like, wow, look at this old ancient thing again. And, and she's there with me. And so Laodicea is still there in western Turkey. Now Laodicea was in a region, there was a trade route that went through there as most ancient prominent cities, but they were known for a few things. One, they were known to be a very, very wealthy area. One of the reasons they were so wealthy is because they had, that whole region uh, was really successful at developing wool and different dyes and, and materials, and so they were part of that. In fact, even today, a lot of the Turkish rugs and things come from this region. So it has a long history of being successful in their, uh, those kind of materials. That's why you actually see in this, Jesus is kind of poking at them and saying, hey, from me, why don't you buy real garments to cover yourself? In other words, you're known for this in your area, but that's all about you. Buy them from me and be known about something else. There's something else about this region. It was kind of known as also like the biotech area of the ancient world. They were uh, leaders in some of the uh, um, ideas and finding medicinal kind of uh, um, things. One of the things they designed was an eye salve, something you could put on your eyes so that you could see better. Notice one of the things that Jesus says. He says, for me, why don't you put on real eye salve so you can open your eyes and see what really matters? He's poking at them. He's saying, you guys have it all wrong. You're excited about you. One of the other things about them, because they were biotech industry and, and manufacturing industry, they were very, very wealthy. And at one point, there was an earthquake that destroyed the entire city. And the Roman Empire knew that it was important to rebuild the city, so they said, we'll come in and rebuild. We have the money. 
And Laodicea said, we don't need you. We are wealthy on our own. We'll build it ourselves. Keep your own money. We are Laodiceans. We don't need you. And they rebuilt their city. So when Jesus says, you say I'm rich and I don't need anything, he's talking about finances, but he's also saying, you are so self-sufficient. You're so all only about you. You miss the point that life's not you. It's about me. It's now he's speaking to the church. Now, there's something also a part of Laodicea that really, I think, drives home the point. And this is a part of the story that I think I taught incorrectly many times in my in my ministry days. I think it was good teaching, but it actually wasn't accurate to the culture. And, and he begins by saying, I wish that you were either cold or hot. If you're lukewarm, I, would, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I used to teach, that means you've got to be on fire for God. Either be on fire for God or just reject Him altogether. And if you're kind of wishy-washy in the middle, then Jesus will vomit you out of His mouth. And, and it always made it for good stories when I was teaching junior hires. You know, so anytime you can say vomit, they're listening. So, so I used to teach that. And I, I think it's good teaching, but it's not necessarily accurate to this text. See, because as I learned and studied more about the region, I learned something else. That Laodicea was located between two other prominent cities that are really important to understand. One was this one called Colossae. In Colossae, where the book of Colossians was written to, it was up in the mountains outside of Laodicea. And it was known it had this fresh cold water spring that came from the mountains. The water from Colossae was known to be particularly cold and refreshing for travelers who were coming through there. So if you wanted a, a drink of water that would kind of revive you and restore you and give you new life or kind of get you on your way again, you would go to the cold waters of Colossae. Now on the other side of Laodicea in the valley, there, there was another town, a town called Hierapolis. And I know you already know this, but so Hierapolis is up over on the other side from Laodicea. It still exists today. It's now a town called Pamaluke. My wife and I went there, and, and Pamaluke, any guess of what kind of place that's known for, or what kind of water it's known for there? Hot, hot springs. They were hot medicinal springs. They're filled with minerals, filled with calcium. In fact, today there's this uh, travertine of, of calcium pools that go all the way down the mountainside. You can climb up them and, and walk through them. On the very top of that hill where the ancient town of Hierapolis exists, there is this ancient Roman bath made with hot water and minerals. You can still swim in it to this day. So on a cold November day, my wife and I were swimming in this ancient pool that has these old marble columns that have fallen over in this pool. And we're like, of course we're swimming in it. So cool to be here in this ancient pool. But it was known for these hot healing waters where you would go when you needed healing in your bones. So on one side of Laodicea, you have hot healing waters. On the other side, you have cold, refreshing waters, bringing life, restoring life. In the middle was Laodicea. Laodicea is, now has evidence, archaeology has discovered, one of the most complex piping systems in the ancient world. They had plumbing. You can find these pipes from all over the place, and they have these central pump areas where somehow they built up enough water pressure to pump in water to all the homes. And if you look at those pipes, though, to this day, you look on the inside of them, and they are corroded and built up of entirely filled with minerals. It's like they were using San Diego water or something. 
And what Laodicea was known for was that they wanted their own water, but the problem with their own water was when they got their water, it was lukewarm. It was lukewarm, and, and, and because of the evaporation and everything, it became very rich in the minerals. So by the time you drank the water from Laodicea, you would spit it out of your mouth. It was unfit to drink. It was worthless. So the writer, or Jesus, speaking to John to give a commandment to the church in Laodicea, says, I wish that you were cold like the refreshing waters of Colossae that brings life to people. Or I wish that you were hot and, and had some sort of medicinal purpose. In other words, that you could restore and bring health to people. I don't want you to be lukewarm because lukewarm water is worthless. It does nothing but makes me want to vomit. So the command to the church wasn't be on fire or reject God altogether. It was be a church that is of value to the world. If you are representing the name of Jesus Christ, interact with the world and bring healing and refreshing and restoration the church should be about restoring broken relationships, healing and, and, and walking people through addiction, leaning into pain, should be about bringing hope to people who feel like there's no hope because we serve the God of the universe who gives us hope. The church needs to be about these things. So when we talk as a church about all these things out there that we're doing and where we want to go for this next calendar year, the purpose of it is that we want to be a church who's refreshing, restoring, bringing life, bringing hope, healing relationships, walking with people through, through pain. Because that's what the people of God representing the name of God do. That's what we want to be about. That's a command that God's called us to. And if we just do that, that's enough. Everything else doesn't matter because we're representing the family of God. When we put God on display in that way, it means that we're living a life that exalts God, that lifts His name up. When we do these things that we want to do for the name of, of Christ, people won't see how great we are. See, our desire is not, is not that people can see how great Seacoast Church is. Our desire as we live our lives lifting up the name of Jesus, we want them to see how great our God is, not how great we are. That's what we're about. That's what we want to be about. So I'm going to give you a few practical things. If you're out there now and you say, okay, what do I do? How can, how can I participate this year? And so I'm going to give you a few practical things that we can do. And I even have a multimedia presentation for you. In other words, PowerPoint slides for you to see some of the ways to get connected this year. So first thing you could do is uh, connect in a group. Now this kind of deals with more of the individual side of things, but we want you to connect in a group. Connect in a life group. Uh, begin with Rooted. If you've never been in a life group, Rooted starts in a couple weeks. You can sign up for it today right after the service. It's a, that's a mini life group. It lasts for 10 weeks and it meets on Sunday mornings. And it's a great first step. Or someone, maybe you've been coming here for years and you say, I've never been in a group. Join Rooted. You get to see the culture of how we want to do life groups. Uh, it's one of the favorite things that my wife and I lead here at the church. And we have a great group of facilitators who also participate with that. And, and so Rooted is a great place to connect. Other thing is life groups. 
Maybe a lot of you are in life groups, or maybe you used to be and you're not anymore. We encourage you to join one. We believe that to grow in our Christian life, we want to do it in the context of community, not as individuals. One of the problems with doing it as an individual is this, is we are really good about believing our own press reports, aren't we? (laughs) And we're really good about doing our own math and saying like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Here's an example. My life group met, uh, the guys in my life group met uh, last week, and I was sharing in my life Uh, One of the things that I really want to do better as, I want to be able to lead my boys better spiritually. I want to be a better spiritual leader in my home for my boys. Now, if I'm journeying through life as an individual, I can say, I know I need to do that, so I'm going to come up with some ideas to do that. And I'll probably even think, I'm doing a pretty good job now. I've kind of got it going. But the beauty of doing it in the context of a group is one and this happened, as one of the other ones said, well, how are you going to do that? Well, I don't know, maybe this. And he said, well, have you thought of this? And he gave me some ideas. So this is what works in our family. How about you? And then when we're done with that conversation and pray for one another, the idea is, hey, in two weeks, we're going to ask you how you're doing with that. <laughs> See, they're going to keep score for me. And it's not all about just beating me into being a better person. It's also journeying with me to help in this process. Why we, want, why we believe in groups here more than anything is because you cannot rightfully grow as a follower of Jesus if you want to do it on your own. You can do pretty well for seasons, but it's so much better to have somebody else walking with you. So we encourage you to join a group. Whatever size that group is, we have all kinds of different types. You have men's groups, women's groups, couples, all kinds of things. Here's another thing that we can do. You can connect and grow in specific ways. And what I mean by that is sometimes you do want to interact with people that are just like you, but maybe not in a regular small group. One of the ways, or we have a women's conference coming up at the end of the month. It's great when the ladies can get together and just be ladies. And you all relate to each other. You understand what it's like to be a, a lady growing and, and living your life in San Diego. You know the pressures, you know the, all of that. That's why we do things like that. We have a man retreat coming up. Yes, it's called the man retreat. And it's October 23rd to 25th. We're camping in tents up at Palomar State Park. Encourage you to come out. It's for men 13 and over, or junior high age and over. And we encourage you to come to that. It's a great time for the guys to be together. And, And sometimes we just need a space just to be ourselves. And there's hiking and fishing and all kinds of fun stuff up there. Um... And, you know, big campfires and meat. I mean, guys, come on. What else do you need? Uh, And and then another way to connect, we have this coming up in January. We're doing a marriage retreat. Because we do believe, for those of you who are in marriage, sometimes we need a little checkup and check-in. And and we're actually going down to La Jolla. Our team that's working on this has found a really great place. They've guaranteed ocean view rooms for everybody who goes. Which, I can't get an ocean view room on any of my vacations. So this is great. We're telling you this today because if you are like me and you have kids, one of the first things you think is, what am I going to do with my kids? Well, you have five months to train them and help them become self-sufficient so you can leave them at home. (laughs) No, call the grandparents. Call somebody. Send them to a boarding school. You have five months. and And you can work on finding time to, okay, we need to do this. So we're telling you now. We have really great early bird rates on that that we'll let you know about in the next week. Some other things we can do as a church is this, participate in service. We also believe we want to journey together, connect with one another, but we also want to be people who serve. 
We don't want to be people who are always inward focused. And I don't just mean serving here at the church or serving through church projects, although that is part of it. We do a lot with our local Love Encinitas, and that's not just Encinitas, that means North San Diego. We believe that we need to be people who are serving the homeless and the underprivileged in our area, so we work with them. We believe in taking care of the orphans and widows and people who maybe can't always do it on our own. That's why we do extra stuff with the schools, in particular schools, mentoring projects. We want to be people who journey with others and serving. We also care about, uh, we've been doing a lot in East Africa, so we have Love Africa campaign. We have a trip coming up here to Congo in a couple weeks. There's one to Tanzania at the end of December into January, where, again, we're going there to love and serve people. And then the Tanzania one is to unreached people group in Tanzania. Because we also want to be people who learn how to serve in our everyday lives. We want to be people who care about those who do not know about Jesus Christ. That's who we want to be as a church. Now, service also means we want to be servants in our home. We want to be servants in our neighborhood. We want to be servants at the workforce, in the workplace. We want to be servants with our kids and with our spouses, with our parents, with our friends. We want to be people who understand the value of loving other people. So we want to participate in service. The other thing, this kind of wraps a lot of them together, but we also want to be a church that supports the next generation. That's why we have right out there, you can see a student ministries and they're, you know, I mean, they're giving out Otter Pops this morning or something. I love that because this is a great day for it if there's any left. But we care about our students. We care about our kids' ministry. We want to be a church that doesn't just glance over them and say, oh, we'll keep them in their buildings. No, we love our kids and our students here. If you have the ability to serve and to help out with our children and our, with our kids and our students, we ask you to participate with them all the way up through college ministry. If you don't have time to do that, although my guess is some of you do have time and abilities and could help us, we could always use extra help, but we could use your prayers. Will you be a church that prays for our student ministries and our youth ministry daily, if you can remember? Let's be a church that goes behind them. Let's support our children's workers and youth workers that are given their time to hang out with junior hires. <laughs> that alone should have extra prayer. <laughs> but we want to be a church that loves them. We love our young adults and our college students. We care about that generation. That's who we want to be, who we are. So those are some of the practical things. And then the, the last one is this. The practical step you can take is to demonstrate the love of Jesus in your everyday life. We want to become disciples who put the love of God on display. So one of the things that we can all do is to remember following Jesus is not just so that you can have an easier life. In fact, it might be the opposite. But we follow Jesus so that we can demonstrate who Jesus is to the world that's watching. So that they may know what the love of Jesus means. How he transforms us and can transform them. The way we live. We want to be a community that's all about that. Again, because we believe when we put God on display, that means that we're living a life that lifts up His name. And when we do that, people will not see how great we are, but they'll see how great our God is. And that's what we want to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up here. 
And uh, we're going to finish our time here today with just one, uh, one song to sing as an, uh, kind of an anthem together. And as we sing this last song, what I want to challenge you to do is, is today, again, as we leave, feel free, please walk around the, the areas out there, check out some things that are going on. You can sign up to get involved. Maybe you can just walk by and say, hey, thanks for what, doing what you're doing. Grab a sample of some good stuff. It's kind of like walking through it. If you ever go to a convention, you want to see who has the best stuff. I mean, that's really what it's about, right? <laughs> I'm going to have to say biasly, I think the men's ministry is winning today, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to go check it out for yourself. But as you do that even, and as we finish this time, remember that, that all of that out there and all of this in here is so that we can be people who point back to the God of the universe who created us and loves us and who loves the world that we live in. That's why we are about doing this. So we're going to end with this last song and I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray. And then I want to challenge you to sing this last song together, participating together, knowing that this song that we sing together, we're saying we're a community. We're a family. We all represent the same thing. And that's our God, Jesus Christ. So we sing this together in unity. So pray with me. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for all the lives that are in here that you have changed and transformed. I thank you for the lives that are being transformed. We thank you for all the groups and ministries that are represented outside that, Lord, everything that they do, they're doing it to help people move more and more in their relationship with you. So that they can, so we can all represent you well, for your name and for your glory. So God, now as we end this time, I pray that your Spirit—we know you're here. We pray that you'd be very present with us, and we pray that Lord, you'd bind us together as a church family, a church family that cares about you and cares about the people in this world and the people that you've placed in our lives. So we thank you now, Lord, and give you this final song that we sing to you together.